Brian Reisenblum here. I'm the host of the Fit Growth Machine podcast, where I talk with top leaders in the fitness industry. Before introducing today's guest, let me tell you that this episode is brought to you by BSR Digital. At BSR Digital, we help fitness brands that want to scale their business to the next level through Facebook, Instagram, and Google Ads. BSR Digital knows that most e-commerce brands want to grow their sales, but they lack a solid plan and professional team to help them succeed. That's why BSR Digital offers strategic plans, implementation, optimization, and ad account audits to help more than a thousand e-commerce brands like yours grow their e-commerce businesses and surpass their competitors. To learn more, visit them at bsrdigital.com or you can email them at hello at bsrdigital.com. So today uh, I have Shaheen Shin. He's the creator of Herbal Ecstasy, the new topic pill that sparked the 100% legal smart drug movement. Shaheen made millions, but what made it special was that he was only 15 years old at the time. He currently helps sellers crush it on Amazon. In fact, he has the rank number one Amazon accelerator, and he had if that wasn't enough, he's also the author of the recently launched book, Billions. Hey, Shaheen, thanks for being on the show. Brian, great to be on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure, man. So uh, did I pronounce your name well? It was really yeah. tough. To... <laughs> it's okay. Shaheen Shan. Shaheen Shan. Okay, that's great. So, uh, hey, so I have always considered that I started my first company early. I was actually... Uh, 20 years old when I started my first company. And I remember that I was super shy, like interviewing and hiring people much older than me. And at times it was intimidating, right? I can't imagine what it was like for you at the age of 15. Most kids that age, including myself, are probably doing uh, just kid stuff at that age, right? So yeah. what made you so ambitious to start your own business then? Well, I started my first business actually roughly a little bit before then. So let's let's back up a little bit. My family and myself uh, came from Iran. We moved to Los Angeles uh, via Germany during the Iranian revolution. And I grew up in a city that was really up and coming. Real estate started booming, things started going up and we had managed to buy a house. We were solidly poor, lower middle-class family. Uh, my dad worked at a pizza store and at a dry cleaners and those kinds of things. And around us was all this wealth. So I learned very quickly that I wanted to be wealthy. I wanted to have a good life. But when I looked at the path to that, it wasn't that exciting. What I was told, I asked my parents, I'm like, all right, great. I want to be rich. How do I get rich? And they said, well, you know, you got to go to school, you know, and I said, okay, let me do that. And then, you know, they're like, you can become a doctor. I'm like, okay, great. Let me become a doctor because everybody knows in any third world country, the highest aspiration for your kids is that they become a doctor. So I thought about that for a second. They're like, well, you got to go to school. It's eight years, maybe 10 years. And then you take out a loan and then maybe you can buy a house. And then after, you know, your fifties, you'll have, you'll be rich and you can have money maybe. I said, well, that's bullshit. I want to be rich like now. They said, oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's not happening. So by the time I was 15, I decided that I was going to leave and find my fame and fortune in the world. I decided I was just going to go off and do what 
I thought would bring me the most potential for wealth and success. So I left. I left home. I left my family. I didn't really have many friends at that time. But prior to that, I had engaged in some adolescent, uh, preteen criminal activities at school where we would go into stores and we would steal uh, adult magazines, nudie magazines. We would steal alcohol, cigarettes, glue, and we would sell them in school. And that was a little business that I had running. And it was a glorious business. It was super fun. And we started getting some respect at school. Only problem was we were really bad at crime, terrible at crime as a kid. And so I realized that, you know, we ended up always in detention in the principal's office. And as it turns out, that's where we got the most business because all the other kids that were there were criminals too. And criminals like buying all that contraband stuff. So we started selling to those kids. So that was my first foray into business. We made a lot of money as a kid, but the problem was that we were just bad. We were always getting caught. So I realized if that carried on into my adulthood, I would just end up in jail. I thought that's a terrible idea. I don't want to end up in jail. I'm terrible at crime. I'm going to be terrible in jail. I better do something. So at 15, I left and I went to sleep wherever I could. I slept on the beach in abandoned buildings. They were building houses here in Los Angeles at that time, a very quick pace. And there were a lot of these luxury buildings. And what I figured out is if you went when they're showing the house, the brokers would use a special code to get the keys. So I went a couple of times and I got that code and I would go at night and I would sleep in these luxury mansions that they were building before they were constructed. And I would wake up in the morning and I would leave. And I, I write about this in my book, Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult. And I started getting involved in the electronic music scene. I managed to get myself a mentor. I got a girlfriend at that time, but I was still sleeping wherever I could. I started sleeping actually inside the clubs, behind the speakers, in front of the speakers, very loud, behind the speakers, very quiet. And I realized that the people throwing the clubs weren't making money. The DJs weren't making money. The property owners weren't making money. The only people that were making money, Brian, were these guys hanging out behind the scenes, so to speak. And I thought, wow, man, these guys have fancy cars. They've got nice new Porsches. They've got beautiful girls all around them. They've got all this nice jewelry and free, clean clothes, and they live in nice places. Who are these guys? They're the ones that are keeping the clubs going. Turns out it was the drug dealers. And I thought, great. Well, then that's what I'm going to do. That's going to be my path. I'm going to be a drug dealer. Until I thought back to my adolescence and realized, hey, man, you know what? I was really bad at crime. Crime is not a thing I should be involved in. You know, we see a lot of people nowadays where you see them on TV and you're like, man, that guy got away with like one crime and then he does another one and he gets busted and then he gets out of jail. And he goes back and he does another crime. Like they should quit when they realize that they're bad at crime. It's a, it's a very good thing to do if you're bad at crime. So I realized that and I thought, well, you know, dealing drugs isn't going to be good for me. I'm just going to end up in jail. But then it occurred to me that the supply of drugs had dried up. There was a, a famous drug called ecstasy, MDMA, that was going around at the time. And it was recently made illegal in the United States and recently really restricted. And what happened was that the supply of it was coming from Europe. And that supply had dried up. 
And I thought, man, if I could figure out a way to make a legal version of this, a natural version that has no side effects, that's even good for people to take and wouldn't cause any type of criminal activity, that could be very lucrative. So I went out about the process of creating this magic pill. And one day I, I had a girlfriend who let me sneak into her house when her dad was gone. I would sneak in through the back and she let me cook it up in her kitchen. So we were making prototypes in her kitchen. We got a formula that worked and we called everybody we knew over and everybody came and took in. People were dancing and happy. And I was like, okay, well, this is it. And we didn't have the money even to buy the machine that puts the uh, materials in the capsule. So what, what I did was we rolled them by hand with some uh, gooey stuff, like some honey, and we dried it in an oven. So it looked like pills, even though it wasn't pills in those days, I didn't have the money to buy the machines. I put it in little baggies. I put a little card inside. I filled up a backpack and that night we went to the club. Now in the 1990s, Tattoos were not a normal thing. Now, if you have tattoos on your face, they call you Post Malone and you get a platinum album. Nowadays, it's normal. Then you are somebody who's done terrible things if you had tattoos on your face. And I found a dude who was the biggest drug dealer in LA at the time. He had three tears tattooed here, which I think are for like three people he killed in prison. And he had tattoos on his face, on his neck, a rough looking guy. He had bodyguards around him. He had beautiful girls around him. He was dressed very nice. And I went to this club late at night, this rave electronic music party. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, man, you're going to sell this. He said, what the fuck are you talking about? I don't have to, you know, are you a policeman? Are you, are you a cop? And I said, no, no, I'm not a cop, not a cop. Uh, do I look like a cop? I'm definitely not a cop. Please don't hurt me. I just have the stuff to sell. I was like, well, what do you have? Is it E? Is it, what kind of drugs is it? And I was like, nope, it's not drugs. And he said, well, what is it? And I said, herbal ecstasy. I just made it up in that moment. And he said, well, he said, fuck off. I, I don't have time for bullshit. And just in that moment, I noticed that two people were walking up to him and he was out of supply. I was at the right place at the right time. I looked at him. I said, hey, man, are you just going to turn business away? He said, what? I said, are you just going to turn business away? Because right now you've got people who you could be selling something to and they could be enjoying it or you could sell nothing. And he knew that in that moment, he could tell that I had made that decision, that I wasn't going to move. My feet were planted on the ground. I was sweating bullets. I thought this guy might kill me, but I wasn't moving until he bought what I was selling. So these people come up to him. He has a little conversation with him. He motions at me. I hand him a bag. He grabs my entire backpack with all the pills in the baggie and he says, come back in two hours. And he says, you better not be fucking with me. I'm not playing around. So I left and walked around the club, super nervous. It was probably the longest two hours of my life. I didn't know if I was going to succeed or be killed by this man. So two hours passed, his bodyguard motions. I come over, the girls move over and he looks at me. Now things are very quiet. It's a moment of incredible tension where he is just staring me down. And I'm thinking to myself, all the excuses that I could tell him, I'm really sorry, please forgive me, please don't kill me, I'll give you money, anything. I saw my little 15-year-old life passing in front of my face. I thought, man, if I ever get out of this, I'll just go straight home, I'll study at school, everything will be okay, please, please. I was praying to gods I didn't even know. And he looks at me, puts his hand on my shoulder, and he goes, kid, 
when can you get me more? Wow. And that was it. That was as close to a smile I saw on this guy. And he was the biggest drug dealer in LA at the time. And it went from one guy to 10 guys, to 100 guys, to 1,000 guys, to 10,000 guys. We legitimized a lot of them. A lot of them started legitimate businesses and distributorships and stores and franchises. And before I knew it, I was a teenager. We were in over 30,000 stores. We were selling in warehouse records, towered records, urban outfitters, general nutrition center, 7-Eleven was a buyer. Some supermarkets were selling our product. We were in all the sex stores. Larry Flint bought our product to sell in all the adult sex stores around the country. And you know, Brian, I was buying this stuff for 25 cents a pill and selling it for $20. We went on tour with Lollapalooza with the Beastie Boys and uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers and the Prodigy and all the great bands of that era. And we were selling during that time millions of dollars a day sometimes, millions of dollars a show of these pills. And nobody knew what to do with us. We were free and unrestricted. Wow. That's an amazing story. I, I love those kind of stories. But what I, lo what I do love more is to know a little bit more of the details before you got validation. Because a lot of people here listening, entrepreneurs, they have an idea. Most of us, I include myself, when we have an idea, we are lazy or we say, oh, it's not gonna work. Or we talk about it with some friends or parents or a couple, right? And no, no, you're crazy. And it's not probably even close to these kind of ideas or products, right? And they tell us we are crazy or we tell that to ourselves. And we don't move forward. And some other times I have even been in conferences where people like the copycat here in Argentina of uh, eBay and Amazon uh, got a question from the audience saying, and where are you a developer? Did you like make the entire site? It's like, no, like you don't need to know necessarily about what you are doing exactly to produce it. You need to have the, the business mindset. So, so I just wanted to ask you, have you ever made drugs before? Do you, how do you know how, what the next steps were after you got the initial idea? I didn't. I've never made drugs. I never made pills. I never did any of that stuff. But what I did know was that I was relentless. Look, they, they say a man who has nothing to lose is the most dangerous man you'll ever meet. And you got to believe that. You never want to fight somebody who's got nothing to lose. It's interesting. I tell the story, you know, in Thailand, which is one of my favorite places in the world to go. I love their food and their culture. When you go there, they have a martial art called Thai boxing, Muay Thai, which has gained a lot of popularity now through the UFC and MMA and mixed martial arts communities here in the United States and all over the world, actually. And one of the interesting things that they do is they allow prisoners to train they allow prisoners to train Muay Thai and they allow them to fight with mixed martial artists that come from all over the world to fight the prisoners in Thai boxing. And if you win, if you win a Thai boxing match as a prisoner, you will get a pardon. Doesn't matter if you're on death row, doesn't matter if you're in prison for life. If you win, they let you out. And the interesting thing about this is that people come there to fight these prisoners. I would not want to be somebody fighting somebody who is fighting for their freedom or their life because they have nothing to lose. And when you put yourself in that mindset, 
you can start to understand where I was at. I was at a place where I was willing to do whatever it took, the secret to any successful plan. You have to be willing to do whatever it takes in order to succeed. You might not have to do all the stuff that you'd be willing to do, but you have to be willing to do whatever it takes. And that's what I was doing. So I just learned how to do it. I started calling around. I started calling people. Sure. Half the people told me to fuck off, but half of them didn't. Half of them had unreasonable requests, but some of them didn't. And you only really need one person that's going to give you what you want. And I got people on the end of the phone. People could smell it on me. They could smell the hunger, the relentlessness, the eagerness to succeed, and the absolute resistance, the refusal to fail. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Because I can imagine that you need to also find the right partners or the right team, right, to develop what your your dream is, right? In this case, it was this business, but then it's another one. And you don't have all the knowledge to make it happen. Of course, none of us do. And you need to find the right team, the right people, the right, of course, clients then. But it's important. I always like to people to talk about the, the pre-validation or pre-proof of concept phase because it's really hard to go from the idea to actually the execution and then have the courage to say, do you like this? And in your case, they, they liked it. But did you have a phase before this drug dealer with people that they didn't like it? And you went, you, you, you've been like through re, a rejection phase for the first probably iterations of a product because a lot of entrepreneurs go through this, like most, right? Through this yeah. path. Yeah, look, we had a lot of prototypes that failed. There was a lot of failure. And I, you know, again, I, I tell it in my book, Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pole Cult. I tell all the stories of all the failures. And we had a lot of big failures. You know, I walked into a guy's office and I said, hey, I'm, you know, I've got this plan. I want to make these pills. And he just told me to fuck off. He's like, look, you're a kid. Go back to school. You know, and it was a, it was a crazy time. And I took that guy's business card and I was in the elevator. And when I got in the elevator, I thought to myself, fuck, man, I should just listen to him. I should go back home. I should go to school. And then by the time the elevator landed, I heard a voice in my head. And this is interesting because I think you should always listen to the voices in your head. You shouldn't always do what they tell you. But the voice in my head said, fuck that guy. And I thought back, I was like, yeah, fuck that guy. And I took that card. I taped it up to the trunk of a car. I was sometimes sleeping in the back of an old Lincoln Continental, beautiful old car, very big. But sometimes I would just crash in the back seat uh, in the trunk. And I taped that card up. And every night I would look at that card and it would give me motivation. I'd say, fuck that guy. Anytime something came in my way, something came in my path that wouldn't let me succeed, something came that contradicted my belief and confidence in myself, I would be like, am I going to let that fucking guy win? No, I'm not going to let that fucking guy win. They say success is the greatest revenge. You want to get revenge on your worst enemies? Be successful. Be better than them. Be magnanimous. Be generous to other people. Be kind, but be successful. And that's what I was going on. It was fuel for me. I, I don't even remember all the people. I can remember one or two stories, but I don't remember all the people that told me I would fail, all the people that rejected me. It doesn't matter. I'm, I was on tracks, like on this train track, 
that was moving forward. And sure, there was stuff going on here and here and here and people trying to slow me down, stop me and all that stuff, but it didn't matter. I was going to succeed. It's relentlessness. It's yeah. ruthlessness. It's the ability. And, and by ruthlessness, I, I don't mean don't be kind to other people. You have to be kind to other people, but you have to be ruthless to yourself and ruthless in your tact. When you want to achieve something, you have to be relentless, you have to have cunning, and you have to be willing to do whatever it takes in order to achieve that. And oftentimes that will require a certain ruthlessness. And now, you know, in society and all this like woke culture and political correctness, they try to tell people that you don't need to do that, that everybody's going to get a participation prize, but it's bullshit. It's a lie. That, that, that life doesn't work that way. The people who are winning, the people who we see, people like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, all these great business people, they have this element of resilience, of ruthlessness, and of cunning, and they are there to execute on their vision regardless of what it takes. They have been willing to do whatever it takes in order to achieve it, and that's one of the great secrets to becoming successful. Yeah, and I, I love you speaking about that because especially, I, I think there's a great time into it because these last two years were super tough for many people around the world with COVID-19 and uh, many businesses hurt and many businesses arised, right? So uh, how, what would you say to entrepreneurs to make a positive thing out of these crises or big changes in the world and use them to their advantage? Because a lot of people always say it's not the right time, it's not the right time. And hey, you know something about that, right? I mean, you and your family escaped from the Iranian, Iranian yeah. revolution in, in 1978. So you know something, uh, you know one thing or two I mean about resilience. You slept, as you saw, in, in abandoned mansions or in construction mansions in the beach. So you, you know a thing or two to tell these entrepreneurs, right? Look, there is something to being at the right place at the right time. I, I also have a podcast called Hack and Grow Rich. And we oftentimes talk about this principle of synchronicity. When you are in a flow state, like Stephen Kotler talks about in his book, The Art of the Impossible or The Rise of Superman, if you can get yourself into this optimal performance state, into this optimal state where you are in the flow, opportunities start coming to you. You find yourself becoming more in sync with things that are going on around you. And that's called synchronicity. You want something and the person who can provide that thing to you appears sitting next to you on a park bench, or he's the guy at a restaurant that, uh, you know, drops something and you pick it up and you're there. It's the way the world works. I don't know why it works that way. Some people say, oh, the art of it, the law of attraction, the art of manifestation, all that is bullshit. I'll tell you what it is. It's hard fucking work. No substitute for it. No hack for hard work resilience. People are going to try to knock you down. People will put you down, but it's how many times you get up when that failure happens. And also there is an element to it of not giving a fuck about what people think of you. You cannot care what other people think. Other people's opinions only matter if they coincide with your own belief structure and your own reality distortion field. I billion, um, but also I, uh, Walter Isaacson, who wrote the great uh, 
autobiography, sorry, not autobiography, the great biography of Steve Jobs talks about how Steve Jobs would walk into a room and he would say, all right, guys, uh, we're going to need, and this was in the early 90s, we're going to need a phone and you're going to be able to touch the screen before this all phones had buttons. And there'll be no buttons on this phone. And it'll do all these things. It'll have an iPod in it. It'll play music. It'll do all these things. It didn't exist. And the engineers would say, oh, okay, cool. Steve Jobs, awesome. Okay, all, amazing. We could have this for you in the next three to five years. He'd be like, very cute. 30 days, I'm going on stage to announce it. Make it work. And he would leave. And they would all be sitting there going, oh my God, what an asshole. And, and what just happened? We just agreed to do this. And they would do it. And he would make it happen. Sometimes he would have failures. We all know the the Apple iPhone release, you know, thing where it froze when he was on stage and all that stuff. But then he would hit it again and make it work. And the next one would work better. And the next one would work better. He wouldn't take no for an answer. And really, that's what you have to do. And that's what I did. I would not take no for an answer. I designed my life. I became a decision architect. I designed my life the way I wanted it to be. And I went out there and I made it happen based on those principles. Yeah, that's great. I like the fact that, yeah, you, it is said, of course, as you said, they need to surround yourself with great people, right? And uh, some of them are mentors. So I would love to ask you about that. Do you have any mentors in your career? Yes, okay. So when I started, my first mentor was uh, a man uh, named Ed Lawson, who, became known because he took on the entire police department and took it all the way to the Supreme Court by himself. And I managed to get this guy, a, a rather unusual human being, to mentor me and teach me the art of influence, which was one of his most effective tools in his arsenal. And through the years, I have learned the impact and importance of influence. Uh, a great book on this is by Robert Caldini. He wrote, he's a professor who wrote a book called Influence and a follow-up book called Persuasion. And I use that in a lot of what we teach. Now I teach an Amazon course. I teach people how to make recurring revenue, making money, selling stuff on Amazon. And we have a mentorship program where we mentor people, we coach them, and we get them from all over the world to start businesses on Amazon and to sell products. And if you don't know how to, how to find a product, we teach you how to do that. If you need help coaching, mentoring, any of that stuff, we help you and get you into that place where you can achieve optimal success. But it leads to one of the great secrets of people who succeed, and that's that do not work in a vacuum. What I mean by that is that there are people out there in the world who have done what you want to do. And you can find these people and incentivize them to work with you, incentivize them to help you, to coach you, to train you, to get what they want. I think your, your, your podcast is about fitness. Yeah. So if you want to become fit, very interesting. So I train Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I'm a student, beginner. Um, but I've, I've been training for some years now and my philosophy with martial arts and I've done martial arts for a lot of years is if you want to learn, you find somebody who's at a much higher level and is where you want to be. And once you learn how that person got where they are, ask them to mentor you, ask them to coach you and get at that level with them. 
train at their level. So in business, it's a similar principle. If you want to be great at business, find somebody who's a black belt at the business principle that you want to be great in and get them to coach you, get them to mentor you. And, you know, for all of your uh, viewers and listeners, I wanted to mention that I do have an Amazon course. It's a one-hour course that teaches anybody how to get from A to Z, start an Amazon business, pick a product, and in time, build a business that could potentially be worth millions of dollars. And you can do it for little or no money. And the way that we, we do that is the course is normally $200 for anybody of your viewers or listeners. Just mention the code Brian or FIT. We'll give that to you for free. Absolutely zero cost, no obligation. Just if I can help empower any of your listeners, any of your viewers to start an Amazon business where they can stop selling their hours and become entrepreneurial like you, Brian. I know you've had a lot of entrepreneurial history. And if, I, if we can encourage any of your viewers or listeners to do that, guys, look me up on shaheenshan.com. Go to fbasellercourse.com, and I'll give out my email is d-a-r-k-z-e-s-s at gmail.com. I answer all emails directly. And if there's any way I can support you guys to coach you in business, let me know. We're doing it all the time, and we're seeing great results. That's great. That's great. Yeah, we'll make sure to include that in the show notes, the code Brian and the code FIT. So you can go there to that URL. You will find the show notes. So to wrap up, I have a like a, a one more question that with your course uh, and your trainings, right, the accelerator you have right now, how can people create predictable recurring uh, revenue streams without selling their hours? I think many people dream of that, right? Yeah, so that's a great question. I talk about this often in the course. And guys, take me up on this offer for the free course because I don't do this all the time. It's only for the next couple months we're doing this. So if you can, again, there's no obligation. Get in on the free course. Um, it's normally 200 bucks. You get it for free because Brian's a cool guy. And we decided to do this to inspire you guys to start businesses. But the way that you do it is you have to sell one of two things. You have to either sell a service or you have to sell a product. Those are really the only two things that you can do. Other than that, you got to go work for someone else. Now, if you sell a service, you got to get other people working for you. So you're not selling your hours, but that is usually more time intensive. If you're selling a product, that's the ultimate for me, because what happens there is that you can be selling that product on a platform like Amazon while you are sleeping. So now I'm a family guy. I've got a beautiful boy a beautiful wife, and we travel the world all the time, going to all kinds of places, beautiful places. We were talking about Argentina before. I love that. Um, by the way, I got to ask you, what's that dish that you guys have? Oh, I love it. It's like olives and cheese, and they put it in a little thing, and then they put it in the oven, and they come out, the cheese is melted, and there's olives. What's that thing called? Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, is, is it cheese? Is that? It, it's cheese. Yeah, it's cheese. What's it called? Provoleta. Provoleta. Yes, that is exactly what it the is. The rounded right. one? Yes, exactly. Yeah, the rounded yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, we put it in the grill too. It's great. We oh. have the, the barbecue here is, is great. And yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. So you, you travel the world by uh, actually uh, getting predictable recurring revenue without selling your hours and that allows you to travel. Yeah. That's a dream come true for many entrepreneurs. So that's great. So to wrap up, I just wanted to ask you, if you wanted to mention one thing or two about the book you released uh, a few months oh, yeah. ago, Billions. So 
why should people read that? Why they will find? Well, it makes great bathroom reading. So if anybody needs reading in the bathroom, this would be great for that. But truthfully, look, I've spent a lifetime living this life and a couple years writing this book. Um, Chris Voss, the FBI negotiator, author of Never Split the Difference, wrote the forward to it. I'm very fortunate that Chris did that for me. And the book is going to be made into a film. We just got a film deal, which I'm very excited about. And really, it's, it's my journey, but also in the book, we talk about practical tips for how you can do this. It's one of those funny things, man. I think if you know, someone inspires me, I will get their book. I will watch the movie. I will do all that stuff. And it's one of those things in life that's really, I think, like unbalanced for the person producing the content. So I like, I love watching movies and I'm watching this like uh, film uh, that they spent, what was it, like $150 million on, uh, on TV. And like they spent $150 million making this thing. And for $20, maybe even less, I can watch this film and get all that stuff, all the actors, the motion, the action, the feelings, all that. And I leave and I'm done feeling great and, and having this great experience. And books, I feel, are a lot the same way. People will go to, go to, go to great lengths to write these incredible books. And for a little bit of money, you can take all that experience. So that's books in general, but I think my book is a, is, is a wild ride. And for anybody interested, check it out. The first chapter is free on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever podcasts are found. It's Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult. And it's available now. And the Audible book will be available soon, exclusively on Audible. And I'll look forward to uh, hearing your thoughts once you read it, Brian. That's great. Yeah, of course, I, I definitely will. So uh, where can people go to learn more about you if there's any link you haven't mentioned? Yeah, go to shaheenshan.com. That's S-H-A-A-H-I-N-C-H-E-Y-E-N-E.com. Go to fbasellercourse.com or check out, make sure to check out our podcast, uh, Hack and Grow Rich. We appear every week with great guests. We are going to have Nolan Bushnell, the founder of Atari, Chris Voss, the FBI negotiator. We just had Michael Bruce, America's sleep doctor, New York Times bestselling author. So we've got a lot of really great guests and we'd love to share that with you. And if you're excited about things like personal development, fitness, health, money, success, any of that stuff, it's all connected and it's all linked. Join us on Hack and Grow Rich. Make sure to like and subscribe us. And super honored to be on the show, Brian. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was my pleasure to have you. Thanks for being here. And we will include the links in the show notes so you guys know where to go to uh, learn more about Shaheen. Shaheen, it was a pleasure to have you. Thanks a lot for your time today. Thanks, Brian. And we're going to be rebroadcasting this on our uh, network too. How do people find you? Yeah, thanks. So they can go to bsrdigital.com. That's bsrdigital.com. And there they, they, they have a great place to start. We have the Fit Growth Machine Podcast, of course, is one. And yeah, those probably are the best two links. Let's do it. All right. Awesome. Thank you for having me on, buddy. Yeah. Thank you. My pleasure.